and welcome to episode 39 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 10th of June 2018. I'm Joe, and I'm alone, but only for the intro, don't worry. This is our special Talk Live episode, which we recorded last night, as I'm recording now, and uh, I'm a bit hungover. I will pause in the middle to do a bit of admin and stuff, uh, but I suppose in the meantime, let's get straight on with it. Hello, and welcome to Late Night Linux at Talk Live! Yay! I'm Joe, and with me are Will. Hello. Uh, Graham. Hello. And Jesse. And hello. So there is no failing with us. He is back in Ireland, and Jesse is back from the dad. So uh, how is that working out, being a dad? It's good. I'm going to keep my eyes open for the next 45 minutes, and uh, then have a little nap. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Yes, we don't know what's going to happen after this with you coming back, but that's the problem for another day. Um, so we're not going to do a normal show with news and everything, but um, there is one item of news which is uh, you lot are unprepared for, but I'm going to ask you for basically one sentence regarding the obvious elephant in the room. Um, let's try and keep it brief, but what do you think about uh, GitHub buying... Uh, sorry, Microsoft <laughs> buying GitHub. So uh, let's start with you, Graham. Very briefly, what are your thoughts on that? I think this is what open source is designed for, and uh, it shows the weaknesses in open source, that things like the data behind GitHub, the issues repositories, the way all that was done wasn't implemented in Git itself and makes it difficult to migrate to a different service. Um, and I think we'll adapt and move on, just as, as uh, Linus did when he created Git. I don't think it's that big a deal. The fact is that GitHub's shown it's a valuable service. Okay, fair enough. Jesse, are you even aware of this news? Yeah, I heard. <laughs> well, you have been busy. Yeah, I have been busy. And uh, I, I basically echo what Graham said. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's what I said. All right. <laughs> Sit on the fence. So, Will, where are you with this? I concur. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fine. Um, I think Microsoft will run it in the way that it has been run previously. And very little will change um they in fact i saw that they were offering their their more premium levels free to open source software so i think this is a good thing and i don't think there'll be any drawbacks okay well i don't know just watch and wait it's all i can say we'll have to see it could be horrendous but it's essentially decentralized isn't it so people can move away they have moved away to gitlab in their drives I, I can't see Microsoft doing anything bad to it. I think that they'll add, they'll you know add value to it or whatever. But if people don't like it, there's other stuff they can do. Um, all right, so uh, let's talk about what we should have been talking about. So um, last year, with a slightly different lineup, we talked about what we like and what we dislike about Linux. And so on a kind of similar-ish theme, I thought we'd uh, do what we hope will happen in the next five to ten years and what we dread might happen in the next five to ten years in terms of Linux and FOSS and the whole open source ecosystem. Um, so uh, let's do the positive stuff first. So Will, what is your first hope? What do you hope will happen over the next five to ten years? Well, what I'd really like to see is that Linux is demystified in the home. And what I mean by that is not necessarily Ubuntu on the desktop. Oh, Indeed, Linux on the desktop. Um, <laughs> well, there are other distros available. Apparently so. I, I wouldn't no know. Uh, but the, that people are, are much more forthcoming about the fact that this device that they put into your home, it could be a smart fridge, it could be your TV, it could be a set-top box, but that this device that runs Linux is 
advertised as running Linux rather than this is our proprietary OS and this is something that you don't need to worry yourselves about. Um, and so that people will say, oh, good, this is running Linux. And that means that I can do these particular things with it rather than just this is a, a closed box and I have no idea how it works or what it does. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would really like to see that um, the, these devices are understood by the normal man in the street who can come along and say, oh, good, it's running Linux. It's got tucks on the label. I know what this is doing. I'm happy with this. And it means that I can do all of these other things with it rather than just, you know, a mysterious black box that I don't know what happens with it. One thing I forgot to mention was that um, we are supposed to be talking about how to achieve that uh, the things <laughs> so you know we we want these things to happen but how how are we going to make that happen well <laughs> processing <laughs> processing i think what it needs is primarily pr and marketing for people to be told that it's running linux and that they shouldn't be afraid of it and this is what it means that it's running linux so it already is, right? A lot of these devices are already running Linux. They're already running free software in some degree. There might be some proprietary stuff on top, but by and large, they're running free software and Linux. And people need to be told this, and they need to be not scared by it. So it needs to be explained to people how it works, what it is, what it means to them as an end user, um, and for that to just be commonplace and for people not to be afraid by it. Is it to try and get Linux to have... Like, if you see Linux, you know it's secure. Is that the sort of sort of branding you would you would be able to you'd have to use? Because I think if you say it runs dot 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 or it runs X or Y, it doesn't really matter a lot unless there's like a tagline with it as to why you should be why you should care. Sure, sure. Yes, yeah, security is definitely the the front runner in all of this. Um, but it should be it should be more about that the. the it should be advertised as being you can do all of this extra stuff with this box that you've bought. Um, but yeah, security should certainly be the the primary driver. So you're talking about SSHing into fridges and and installing extra bits and bobs on it. Well, I'm I'm thinking that yeah, it, it's it's running Linux. I could install some extra services on it if I want, or the fact that I can I could SSH in it to it. I could there could be an API exposed, and I could do my own stuff with it that it's not this closed system and when I buy it, that's what it does and that is its function, but that it's extendable and I can explore this device and, and make it, bend it to my will. Right. So, Graham, what's your first hope? What do you hope will happen? Um, so, I didn't put this in our shared organized document. Uh, <laughs> that I forced you to. Uh... My hope is really that Theresa May... And... <laughs> oh, no, here we go. Boris Johnson fall out so much they're not able to agree on anything that everybody rewinds everything a couple of years and we get to have another referendum on whether or not to leave the EU or not. It's been three Foss Talk Lives since that referendum and we still haven't got a fucking clue what's happening. Um, but no, my real... The, the entry that I shared with you guys... Yeah. Um, Firstly, I wanted to say that I think we've actually made it. Uh, if you'd have asked me this question 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it would have been whether, you know, open source and Linux could influence things enough to change things. And I think Linux and open source has done precisely that to the point that it's dictating the terms that people do business in IT. 
And so I think that's fantastic. We should recognize that. Um, for going forward, for my hope is, um, and I think this is happening, um, because of basically hacker culture in the UK, the Raspberry Pi Foundation, teaching children to code, teaching children about open devices. There's a whole new generation, my children included, that are learning about computers in a way that they didn't for almost 15 years, two decades, code clubs as well. Um, there was a bit of a dark age as after the, after the 80s where everybody had access to computers and, and people learned how to use them and they manipulated them to their will and then became the kind of people that influenced IT in the 90s. I, I think my hope is that the children that are, are learning that are becoming so empowered by technology recognize the empowerment in the openness and in open source software and the way that they're able to tackle anything and use any tools best for the job and take those skills into their employment and their in universities and then and and then into the way that they create a future of technology and and I'm actually really positive for um, the future in this country and in other countries that have, have done similar projects precisely because of those that kind of movement and so my hope is that those the future is brighter than it's looking um, and that's what I hope. See on the notes that I made to myself, I had uh, had a little dig about what what the link between Raspberry Pi and open source is because there's not a it runs Linux, but it's actually not a a real sort of drive by the Raspberry Pi Foundation to... Fuck the Raspberry Pi Foundation. <laughs> Had to get it in a... <laughs> diplomatic joke, I mean, diplomatic. Um, and, and, but, but actually, something you said there was has changed, not my mind, but it's changed the point I want to make about the, the Dark Ages. So I went to school in the uh, 90s, and... Yeah, let's do some maths. And... And yeah, you're right. All you did was learn Word and Excel. Yeah. And like, I can pick that up in, you know, one day's worth of work. And you just have to look mm. down the ribbon. It's, it's, it's a, it's a type of program, a type of software that anyone can use because all the functions are there displayed. Yeah. You don't need to learn it for, you know, months and months. But to have code clubs, to have sort of challenges with robots and bits and bobs, it actually, you're right. It's a completely different way of teaching computing and it's much, a much better way of doing it, and hopefully we do get that. Anyone anywhere can do anything now. And I, I, I graduated from computer science in 1993. And at that time, my future was, it was Microsoft. You know, everybody was using Visual Studio at that time. And I, I was genuinely depressed about it. Maybe that's what led me into a career in journalism at the time. But there was no way forward out of it. And, and the way forward, the, the kind of the shining beacon nothing to do with the necessarily about the philosophy is about open source and linux was the fact that i could invest my time learning about technology in linux and open source and the time and was worth it because nothing i was in control i had the code and i could dictate and us using the software could dictate how that software evolved from that point and so it, it wasn't microsoft releasing a new version and then saying everybody had to relearn relearn a new way and i think this is fundamental to the way that technology works and and how we actually move technology forward right well we've only got 45 minutes so we better go on with it um, <laughs> Sorry. No, all very good points, Graham. Um, so, Jesse, you want snaps to uh, win over flat packs, this Woo! doc says. Only <laughs> <laughs> because I wrote snaps. So I said the, because I have to read it because I forget things, uh, the Betamax VHS packaging wars will be over with one clear winner. So I'm not 
necessarily, I'm afraid, saying that Snaps is the only answer or will be the answer. But the whole like the whole ecosystem of having um, all these different ways in which you should be packaging applications and depending on you know which um, uh, distribution you might be targeting or you want to get your software onto all distributions, of course, so you then have to go and repackage it in all these different formats. And yes, we've had that sort of uh, RPM, um, DEB, all that sort of things going on. And now we have Snaps and Flatpak. And I have to say, I've seen a number of app images around the place that yeah. I've used very successfully. Even my ability to double-click things can't be undone. <laughs> um, and... And I, I, you know, from my point of view, I, I'm sure there are technical reasons why one is better than the other, what have you. But I don't care as an end user. I'm just happy that I want to be able to go to the Linux download and there'd be a Linux download. And I, I hope in five years we get to that. Right on. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously Will's going to say, yeah, as long as it snaps. <laughs> Company mad. Um, all right, well, my one is... Pretty straightforward, really. Genuinely free hardware. Risk Five. I've been championing it for a while, and I just really hope that that progresses and we can get some proper top-to-bottom free hardware running totally free software with no bullshit binary blobs and proprietary software underneath it. And um, perhaps the Risk Five situation is not. Um, far advanced enough, maybe within five to ten years it will be. Um, I still, I still think it's going to struggle to compete with x86 in terms of sheer power. But if it is totally open, then that's probably going to be good enough for me. And of course, the Librem Five from Purism, which I'm very skeptical about, very, very skeptical that they're going to be able to deliver a phone that's not shit. Basically, it might be totally free software, but. Um, you know, I really want it to be amazing, and um, that's that is my hope. That I want that to be the first of many. I want it to be a, a decent first effort, which they'll then build on, and we'll get some truly free mobile computers. Because the phones that we're all sitting here looking at are computers, and there's there's no other way to look at it. And at the moment, even if you're running totally Googleless lineage or whatever, you're still running loads of proprietary software on that. Whereas if they can actually make it happen, Purism, if they can make the Librem 5 happen and then the subsequent phones after that, then that would be amazing as far as I'm concerned. So I really hope we can make that happen. And as for how we can make it happen, well, all I can do is try and promote it and try not to be as cynical as usual when it comes to talking about it and just try and, you know, say that it's going to be good. I mean, I don't think it's going to be good. I think that... <laughs> I think that by... <laughs> Try harder, Stuart says. Yeah. It's just hard to... It's really hard to because it's just such a... You know, we're sitting here in a room with several canonical employees who have been through this before where and they weren't even trying to make it completely free software and free hardware and all the rest of it. And that failed for want of a better word and you reports okay they're carrying on but who knows where that's actually going again i hope that that's going to be great and i hope that we're going to have some great free software in the mobile space but i don't know i think the best thing we can do is use it test it promote it spend that extra bit of money on it um you know like uh Popey was uh, reviewing the kde slim book which okay that's not free hardware but at least 
buying that is going to be a vote with your wallet. And yeah, it's way more expensive than it really has any right to be for the specs and stuff. But you, you're supporting a small company. Um, the sponsor that we have, Entraware, they're, they're probably a little bit more expensive than the equivalent spec hardware would be from someone else. But supporting that and, and um, supporting that company and actually voting with your wallet, I think is the best thing that we can all do as a community. And maybe Will will then be right that it'll be demystified and um, it'll be a sort of um, snowball effect and then we'll eventually get completely free hardware. So that's um, what that's my dream, I suppose, rather than a hope. And when you get a, a, a Librem 5, would you go for the GNOME desktop or the KDE? <laughs> Don't start. Well, you know... <laughs> You, you know how I dearly love GNOME, so yes. Um, anyway, right, Will, what's your second hope? So my second hope is for Linux in the enterprise to be a success. Now, this is on the desktop. We see more and more oh, I services. wonder why he wants this to happen. <laughs> <laughs> we see more and more services moving to software as a service, which are typically delivered via the browser. So what you really need is a browser. Um, and we see thin client software. Um, if we saw a Microsoft Office client on the desktop, on the Linux desktop, that would be amazing. We are, I feel, very, very close to being able to deliver everything an enterprise needs for free, better security, the same applications, very nearly, and for Windows to see a significant dent in their in their market. Well, what we need for that is not the technology. We already have the technology, and we already have a great number of Linux desktops. You know, Fedora's great, Ubuntu's great, whatever, Red Hat. Um, what we need is sales. We need to be able to yeah. compete with Microsoft. on, and, and they've got like 20 plus years of sales experience. And, and you know, and that culture within the enterprise space, that's what we need to compete with. I, th I think that... You know, anyone here who's running Linux on the desktop surely knows that, um, apart from maybe some applications, but the actual platform itself is way better than Windows. I mean, does anyone disagree with me on that? No one here's going to disagree with you, are they? Well, exactly. <laughs> but where we are failing, I think, or where we have historically failed, is going out and actually selling that to people. Right. So it's a marketing and it's a PR yeah. exercise as much as anything, which relates to my, my first point. But the more people that are running Linux at home or, you know, as a hobby OS, these people are going into jobs within companies in significant enterprises. They're bringing their Linux skills and they're saying to their bosses, you know what, it'd be a lot easier if this was run on Linux. And I believe that we're at the turning point now where the bosses have been around for a long enough time that they have experienced Linux on the desktop in some way and they're not completely against it. If you go back to the, the late 90s, the IT managers in the roles at those time were bought up through Microsoft, Microsoft training courses, Microsoft accreditation, and that's what they were safe with, and nobody ever got fired for buying an IBM machine, right? And that's that's the situation we're at. And I think that we are, and certainly in the next five years, I think we're at the turning point of that, where nobody would be fired for suggesting Linux as an alternative on the desktop. You've made quite a sweeping statement that as long as you're running a browser... It doesn't matter so much. I, I would argue that most companies that are producing something are using bespoke software 
in order to get what they're doing done. Whether that be, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about coding, then I agree, most um, most bits, most software that, that you need to do coding is available on Linux. But if you're looking at, so I reckon engineering, there's lots of engineering software, which is never going to, not never, but mostly doesn't run on Linux. And I, that's just one massive industry. If you look at maybe the health service, if you look at um, education, there there are swathes of industry that don't just run in a browser. So, so I feel it's quite a big generalization to make. Uh, potentially, yes, but that's the way things are going. I don't think there's, I don't think you could disagree that everything is becoming browser based. Um, financial accountancy firms could do everything that they need to do in the well, what do I know? As far as I'm concerned, they could do everything they need to do in the browser. They're, the browser is becoming the OS at this point, and everything that you need to run could be done in the browser, I expect. If you're doing, I don't know, CAD design, probably not. But I think there are a significant number of businesses that could do all of their, their work inside the browser that it would make it a significant opportunity for Linux desktops to go in. All right. Well, we are seriously behind, so we need to move on. Sorry, Jesse, I know you had stuff to say there. Right, Graham, thankfully your next one, uh, your second hope is uh, very simple with a very simple solution. Yeah, it, it all balances out. Um, I just want to spend and resume to work on my laptop. Stop fucking using Arch then. I <laughs> know oh, that's macOS. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Try using a proper uh, Linux distro. Um, uh, Jesse, what was your uh, second? I, I, I don't remember. Let me read it. <laughs> um, oh yeah. So actually, it follows on nicely from yours. So we'll no longer be second-class hardware citizens. And I feel that you know there are excellent companies out there selling Linux-approved laptops, and we get laptops. Um, by KDE and uh, other companies that are designed to run Linux and have been tested and proven and, and what have you. I own a very good Entryware laptop. Cha-ching. <laughs> <laughs> well done. And, and it works absolutely perfectly with all the distributions I've put on it. But you are forced to find a laptop that you know you have to go and find one that is agree as approved to run Linux. Approved is the wrong word, but you you have to find one. And I I think in the next five years, five ten years, it'd be nice if you could just get any laptop and not have to check what Wi-Fi card it's got. You not have to check you know what graphics card it's using and whether we've got the up to date drivers and da da da. I mean there are you know I know when I started running Linux, I had to go and buy another network card. To, to make it to, not because it was impossible, but to make my life a lot easier to run Linux. But now I know a lot of them, it's a lot, it's a lot easier, what have you. I just feel that we're close, but not quite there to just not being second class hardware citizens and being able to buy any laptop. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, I have got to do my second one. I forgot about this. Um, so in complete contrast to wanting genuinely free hardware, I want large commercial proprietary software to become available for Linux. Uh, we're talking about the likes of Photoshop. I honestly think that, yeah, obviously, yeah, um, yeah, things like Pro Tools, maybe, um, <laughs> for whatever reason. But, you know, we're talking about professional uh tools here things like you use at work jesse you know i would love to see that stuff available i'd like to see it done correctly so that it's not um so that it's sort of 
uh, not side by side with free software. And so that it is easy to say no to all of that proprietary stuff. Um, and, you know, the, I think there are ways to do that. I mean, snaps are an obvious way to install those big proprietary things. I mean, even relatively small stuff like Spotify or whatever um, are easy to do that. I'd, I'd like to see a clear delineation between free and open source software and these proprietary commercial things. Um, but I would like to see them nonetheless available for people who want them. Not everyone is going to want them, um, but those who do want them, it would be great to see them. And I think that would drive adoption for Linux on the desktop generally. And I think that we would all benefit as a result of that, even if we don't want to benefit for want of a better word, from the actual applications themselves. And what about the argument that we should have first-class uh, Linux versions of those applications? Well, yeah, good luck doing your engineering on them. There's OpenCAD, which I, we don't use at work. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, there, there are great free software alternatives out there, but if people are ingrained and entrenched in these proprietary <laughs> solutions, there's a good friend of mine who... Um, grew up, for want of a better word, using Max, and now has got a, a. He built a Hackintosh, and he just got sick of that hackiness of it, and now he um, went for uh, just Windows 10 on it. And he said he would love to run Linux on it if Pro Tools would work on it, but it's just not going to for now. And if Pro Tools would work perfectly on it, then he'd he'd be another Linux convert. And the more people we have, okay, yeah, man, maybe the security attack surface becomes more, but let's look on the bright side here. If more people were using Linux, there'd be more people developing the actual core thing itself and we'd all benefit. So a quick pause for a bit of admin. First of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. And don't forget that there's the new $5 Patreon reward, which is an ad-free version of the show, ad-free feeds. So do check that out. Um, if you want to join people supporting us, go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you want to get in contact, go to latenightlinux.com slash contact. And also don't forget about Late Night Linux Extra, which is on the other weeks. Um, if you go to latenightlinux.com slash feeds, there's um, ways to subscribe to that show as well. So this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And Entroware are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they've got a huge range of machines from fairly affordable laptops all the way up to real powerhouses with the latest NVIDIA cards in them, which are ideal for 3D art and video editing and machine learning, all sorts of things. And they've even got desktops and servers and almost all of their machines are configurable, which means that you can choose the amounts of RAM and the CPU in some cases and amounts of storage. So you really can find anything to fit your budget. And they ship to the United Kingdom, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of their machines, then do mention us at checkout. There's a little drop down there. You can select Late Night Linux and they'll know that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Okay, so we'll be back with a normal show in a couple of weeks. But for now, back to Fuss Talk Live. I think that actually somewhat uh, ties in with your first dread then, Will. <clears throat> Indeed. Uh, so, yeah, my first dread is that we continue this tribal warfare between online communities that say, oh, your, all your problems come from the distro that you're running. And you can't go on Reddit without, <laughs> without uh, any thread in our Linux very, very quickly just decomposing into a distro flame war. 
and this is not helping anybody and we are we're holding ourselves back by trying to promote something that we all believe is a good thing and then getting down into the weeds about why your good thing is better than my good thing and this bullshit has got to stop and the sooner we do that the better yeah yeah, yeah. agreed agreed is it linux specific or do we think well, this is just how t generation are now? This is this is people, right? If you've got the wrong color car, then people will have the same argument with you. So it is people, ultimately. But we like to hold ourselves to a better standard than people. So we should do. All right. So, Graham, what's your first dread? Okay. So I dread the prospect of Theresa May. Um... <laughs> we are overrunning, Graham. Come on. <laughs> Okay, it's um, so we'll mention this earlier on actually that the operating system now that most of us spend our time in is the web browser. And my genuine fear is that the code that runs the applications that we rely on in the web browser, how whatever they happen to be, um, Google Documents, um, Facebook, and Twitter, it's all closed source. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, we could talk about GitHub in the way that they had many closed source elements. And I talked earlier on about how um, when I graduated, the world was very proprietary and, and quite boring and un uninteresting to me in a computing sense. Um, and I worry about um, a future where effectively the web is an operating the operating system for computers. And effectively, the code for all that can't be played with, can't be changed, is obfuscated and can't be um edited or hacked with or played with and basically that's how we learn to use computers yeah i think that's a fair dread unfortunately well, why why do we end on the dreads <laughs> <laughs> because we have to get the positive shit out of the way first obviously <laughs> um right so uh jesse uh what about you yeah uh let me see let me just remind myself quickly what the fuck's mine got desktop users will get the scraps from the server table because that's, that's right. the driving interest nowadays rather than the desktop first. That's what I said. So, <laughs> by all means, the world is moving to the web browser and apps on phones and what have you. And this means that the infrastructure needed to make that work is all server-based. And the bigger, the faster, the cleverer, the faster you can spin them up, manage multiple systems, get it all, and the effort is all in servers, which is great. You know, I'm using Google Docs. It's working smoothly. That has to happen. But I worry that everything becomes, where Linux is so dominant in the server space, all focus will be on to the server space, and there'll be little interest, or we'll just end up with things that have come from the need of the server on the desktop, system D and things like this, you know, it's, it's okay. I, I use it at home. It's great. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's an example of server first, desktop second. And I'm sure there are other examples if I'd really scratched my head hard, but I think it would be a bad place if, you know, they said, oh, we've done this to your, your home system because when all our servers run it, it runs better, but it's somehow not as as beneficial to you as a home user. Yeah, and my first read ties into that, I think. that uh, Mine is that Chrome OS and the Windows subsystem for Linux is going to render proper Linux irrelevant. 
basically um the the kind of people who we are trying to uh ad- get as adopters are just going to get a chromebook which can run linux apps or instead of using putty they're going to use the subsystem for linux because it can do a little bit more and uh, apparently it's better for key management and stuff like that i think that um we have been embraced now by these other big companies and they've taken the bits that people actually want and put them into other non-proper Linux products, Chrome OS being the prime example of that. They've taken everything that's good about Linux, the stability, the um, security, and uh, just put a web browser on top of it. And as a result, you give uh, a relative who doesn't know much about computers a Chromebook and you never hear from them again, pretty much, uh, in terms of um, tech support. Again, this is something Popey, who's just going for a piss, um, <laughs> was talking about on Ubuntu podcast. You give them Chrome OS, and so that's that corner of the market. And then now Google are getting into this developer market, as are Microsoft, and it's just potentially rendering Linux, at least on the desktop, completely irrelevant. I mean, I think it's going to be server and cloud. It's going to be still going strong, but um, yeah, that that's my fear. And how can we? avoid that well going back to what will was saying um, and, and my reaction to it is proper marketing getting it into the enterprise because what people use at work and what they get used to they're more likely to accept that as the reality of what they use at home so uh who's uh, back to you then will aren't we for your second dread i think okay yeah so my second dread is that companies do start using linux <laughs> But they do it in such a cack-handed way, as they indeed have been doing, that Linux ends up getting fingered as the bad boy in all of this situation. So this time, there's a, a, a bug or a security breach, but it's not just nudie pics or passwords to Facebook that get leaked. This time, infrastructure damage happens or people actually die. And the knee-jerk politicians will say, oh, well, this open source software was there for anybody to discover this bug. And this is the reason that it was exploited and finger Linux and say, that's the problem. And so from now on, nobody's allowed to use it. Um, whether or not that is going to be the case, I think it's entirely believable that politicians would react in such a way. And I, that worries me. Yeah, that seems very plausible, unfortunately. Yeah, driving home the concept that just because someone can see the bug and therefore exploit it doesn't mean that it's less safe. Yeah. It means you can find it and patch it yeah. versus... Never know that bug is there. Exactly. Yeah. It's a difficult one to, to get across to the masses. Um, all right. So Popey's come back just in time for uh, your second dread, Jesse. My other dread, and actually I was talking to Graham about uh, Chronicle Upstairs, is that Ubuntu's IPO goes badly and money or development... This isn't o- what we were talking about. Though. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to set the record straight. <laughs> correct. Correct. Um, the IPA goes badly and, and money or development resources uh, are not put into Ubuntu on the desktop. Now, it comes from a belief that whether you like it or not, I think Linux is in a much better position now because of Canonical and because of Ubuntu and whether Ubuntu itself has has 
shown a way in which it can be user-friendly and everyone else has had to copy in order to get to that standard, um, or Ubuntu has just surged forward in um, usability and downloads and what have you, and people are using it. it there's, there's no two ways about it. More people are using Linux, and I think that is because of Ubuntu. Now, if... Ubuntu's focus when this IPO, if when this IPO happens, um, if Microsoft don't buy them, yeah, if if it happens and you know a board is implemented and or governments, what have you, and they come in, they say, right, let's see where the money is. Oh, it's over there in the serverland, obviously. Uh, why are we spending all this money over here on the desktop? And then, sorry, Will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for those who don't know, Will is the desktop manager for uh, Ubuntu. I'm just updating my CV. <laughs> And, and, you know, I, I, that, that's why it's, it's a dread, is that if, if that happens, they say, look, we're wasting a lot of money over here. Oh, we're just getting uh, some, some hobbyists at home, a nice desktop. It's, that's not really getting us anywhere. And then it, it, it would be bad for Linux on the desktop overall if Ubuntu wasn't there pushing everything forwards. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't even joking about Microsoft because the thing about business that I learned from Chris recently is that you never talk about being for sale. You always talk about maybe getting investment and IPOing, but it, it is not beyond the realms of possibility that Microsoft will buy them and then fuck that, quite frankly. <laughs> um, right, so Graham, what is your second dread? It's, it seems bad having all this bad news one thing after the other, doesn't it? I feel I feel bad because basically I think things are going okay. So in an open source sense, but my my choice for this was um, that legislation basically is used to clamp down on our ability to tinker with hardware. And uh, remain in the EU? <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> not, not, not in the warmer pact, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's it. So basically, I don't want uh, laws to be. And also, the thing with bringing up problems is that I don't like bringing up problems without suggesting solutions. And well, that was supposed to be what we were doing. Yeah. But, and, uh, and this, in this specific instance, um, in terms of legislation being created to prohibit people hacking or even. We've seen it already happen um, in terms in the states with kind of anti-DRM legislation, and I worry that it's almost linked to um, what Will was mentioning earlier on about marketing. Linux, the open source movement, doesn't have any kind of joint marketing. Neither really effectively does it have any joint kind of um, pushback against legislation. I mean, there are separate organisations, and they all do a great job on their own. But we don't. We're not a corporation in the same sense that Microsoft is, for example, or Facebook is, and we don't have a single face to be able to fight things that basically will diminish our freedom and the ability to do our jobs in the future. And that's what I worry about. In terms of a solution, I don't want to say that we should buy open source hardware because it, it's ineffective. Um, the only thing I can say is, and I think has been a success, is that you you all of us basically push the advantages in in using the hardware and the software that we enjoy using simply because it's better hardware and software. And I think if we carry on that way, it, it'll influence other people's decisions. Isn't the answer sort of white hat hackers and things? If you know, if if hackers are able to tinker with the code mm -hmm. and the hardware and find problems and alert them the correct through the correct channels, you could actually everyone's better off in it. In it 
puts Linux and and hackability in a, in a positive light. Yeah, and and at the moment they're able to do that. The PlayStation Four, for example, just this last couple of weeks has had this fantastic rootkit developed for it. You know, through some minor exploitations, and I think that's fascinating in an in an intellectual academic way. Um, and I think it's essential that people are doing that. I mean, piracy must be a small problem for Sony. I don't think it's relevant, but Sony will use that to legislate against people being able to do that. And that's what's so wrong and powerful about the legislation from big corporations that I worry about. Also, the Switch as well was um, yeah, this is yeah. a hardware fault on that. So every Switch that's ever been sold so far is hackable and can run Linux, which is... You know, and I celebrate the fact that people can do that. Nothing to do with piracy. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. It's, it's like emulation itself. It's a really brilliant thing to look into. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'll be sad if in the future we can't do that. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't want to be in the team on in Sony or in Nintendo. You're a team of like 20 people who have to try and make this impenetrable and then send it out to the world where there's millions of people trying to their best to hack yeah. it. Yeah. That would be a horrible, the, a horrible team to be Their bonuses are probably in. every month that it doesn't get hacked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got one minute left, but thankfully I'm in charge, so uh, we can overrun. Uh, so my last dread then is that... Uh, it kind of ties in with one of my hopes. And my, my dread is that every open source mobile Linux platform is just going to fade into obscurity, um, which they kind of already have. But at least we have the the kind of skeleton of Android. You can still run Lineage without Google. And, okay, you need some blobs to make it work. But um, potentially when Fuchsia comes along, and we're talking five to ten years here, Google want to – well, they have already used a um, – uh, a fairly permissive license for that so there's there's nothing stopping them from taking that fully proprietary along with all the google services and everything and we might end up with um the Libem 5 failing ubuntu touch just not really getting anywhere sailfish failing and we we might end up in a situation where all we've got is ios and whatever future becomes google's version of it and we might not have any custom ROMs, we might not have any proper Linux or even partial Linux on mobile devices. And, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but this phone that I'm holding up here is my primary computing device. I use laptops and desktops as well, but I'm probably more normal than most of you sitting in here in that, <laughs> that this is my primary computing device. You know, if you look at normal people out there who aren't developers, who aren't IT professionals, their primary device is mobile, whether it's their phone or their tablet, their iPad most of the time. And um, if Linux just totally fades away in that space, then, you know, all this stuff we've been talking about on the desktop, apart from in enterprise and certain creative professionals, that the majority of people are not even going to be using Linux at all. They don't know they are at the moment, but at least they are sort of thing. At least with Android, they're using Linux every day. Whereas if Fuchsia comes along and Google just makes that totally proprietary, then it's it's going to be no better than iOS. You, you know how to make friends, don't you, Joe? <laughs> Who have I alienated this time? <laughs> Everyone, everyone's sat here. However, no, I'm um, saying that you're superior to me because you're IT professionals that make more money and stuff, and that's why. Anyway, but I I, I, I see Oops. your I see your dread, and I only give the the glimmer of hope that. Even if all the ones that are currently out do fade into fade away, there's always time for something else to come. There's always, you know, new technology comes out, new hardware comes out, a new software way of doing something comes out, or a new company comes along that says, right, we can do it this way. But how, how many times can we fail at this before people just give up? 
you're saying never people there's enough hackers and stuff that they'll just do it for the fun of it yeah things you know software is always created and you can't just say ah we've we've tried something five years ago because five years ago in technology is a lifetime and so in five years time there might be a much lower hurdle to entry there may be a way in which all the android apps instantly work on an operating system you know some other operating system on the phone and and so you know I agree, currently it doesn't look so great, but in five years' time there may all be something on the horizon that rekindles this this ability to have good Linux operating systems on the phone. Well, on that incredibly positive note then, uh, <laughs> better wrap it up. So uh, I've been Joe. I've been Will. I've been Graham. And I've been Jesse. See you later. Yeah.